For 25 years, we have been Indiana's business news leader. This is IBJ Media's Inside Indiana Business with Gary Dick. Presented by Elevate Ventures and Indiana University. Seems like the rich want to get richer and, and they want to leave the rest of us behind. Union workers and the big three automakers at a stalemate over money and a shorter work week. We take a closer look at the ripple effect of the UAW strike in Indiana. Indiana golf tees off on a new course. More on the governing body's new home and the economic impact it could have on central Indiana. And how this little device invented by an Evansville doctor is helping brain injury patients across the country regain the use of their hands. Hello and welcome to Inside Indiana Business. I'm Gary Dick. Factory face-off. More than 13,000 United Auto Workers walking the picket lines at General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis assembly plants as part of a historic strike that is now in its second week. And the impact is spreading to Indiana. Stellantis uh, this week announcing 300 temporary layoffs in Kokomo, a result of the strike, and more could be on the way. Joining me now with his take on what might uh, be next in the impact, pleased as always to be joined by Ball State economist Mike Hicks. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Good to be with you. Hey, uh, we should mention, as we are taping this uh, late in the week, uh, it is before a, a deadline that the union has uh, at least tentatively set to perhaps expand the strike. So we don't know uh, yet what may or may not happen there. But as you look, I say historic strike. This is the first time the UAW, instead of targeting one automaker, uh, is really uh, uh, targeting all three. Strategy to perhaps uh, expand. Good strategy in your view, Mike? Yeah, I think so. Um, the, the, the union's thought process here, I think, is... Let's wrap all three of the domestic producers into a single contract, uh, at least very similar contracts. And, and we'll, we'll start this strike with a small number of workers and force the companies themselves to make these layoffs and uh, absorb the unemployment security that goes with the interrupted supply chains. And I think that's really a smart financial move. Otherwise, I don't think the UAW could afford a, a very lengthy strike this way. I think they're going to be able to. Yeah. As you look at the potential impact in Indiana, a major automotive state, obviously, uh, expectation is there will probably be more more layoffs. The, the impact, can you can you assess the potential impact from an economic standpoint, especially on some of these communities like Kokomo and some of these auto towns? Right. It's going to be very acute in those places that have a lot of UAW members yep. and a lot of suppliers to domestic. So, you know, Fort Wayne, Kokomo, really going to South Bend are going to feel a lot of this. I think you know the potential statewide is for more like 60,000 workers and then follow-on jobs if you're running a bar or restaurant outside a union yeah. uh, shop, th th that's going to affect you as well. So uh, we're not feeling it yet, but I think as this progresses into week four, five, six, if it does, I think you'll start feeling some real pain in those places. Yeah. Hey, hey Mike, as you look at some of the, the, the factors there, they seem to be far apart, wages, benefits, uh, shorter work week. But as you look at the electrification of the auto industry, that move, you know, the automakers are making to electric vehicles, how does that play into, into this? Because the automakers are under a lot of pressure to become more efficient uh, as they make this move. So there's sort of two parts of this, right? As you said, they got to be more efficient as they get into the production of electric vehicles. The price point on them is such that they really got to cut costs. And there's not been a lot 
a productivity growth that would allow for that over the past decade. The other factor that I think plays into this is that electric vehicles just require about as third as many parts mm -hmm. as a traditional ICE engine. So about 30,000 for a typical car today, 10,000 in electric vehicles. So the demand for those UAW workers, not at the assembly plant, but at the parts manufacturers, they're yeah. going to be just a lot less. And I think that's where the union is struggling to say, we want to protect workers, we want higher wages, and we want to protect benefits to retirees. And that's a long haul in this environment. Mike, as always, great perspective on uh, a strike that is uh, now entering uh, its second week. I know we'll be talking more about this in the, uh, the days and weeks ahead. Thanks very much. Good to be with you. All right. Well, big news in technology this week for Indiana. The U.S. Department of Defense selecting the state as one of eight states for a regional tech and innovation hub. Indiana's Applied Research Institute will receive $33 million in federal funding for the hub, which will focus on advancing U.S. leadership in areas like artificial intelligence, quantum technology, electromagnetic warfare, and commercial leap-forward technologies. It's all part of the CHIPS Act passed by Congress, a $280 billion piece of federal legislation aimed at boosting domestic production of microelectronics. The federal agency received 83 proposals from more than 640 organizations. Well, Indiana golf teeing off on a new course. More on plans the state's governing body has to set up ground control in a new location and the economic impact potentially on Indiana. Gary, congratulations on 25 years. I can't believe it's been that long. I can't believe how young you've stayed while the rest of us have aged. Thanks so much for informing us, entertaining us, and providing us with information that's made all of our lives better. Congratulations, Gary. Well, the hits keep coming for Indianapolis International Airport, honored yet again with a prestigious J.D. Power Award. Indianapolis International ranking tops for best customer satisfaction among medium-sized airports in North America. The sixth time the airport has received the recognition. Indy International scoring highest in getting passengers to and uh, from leaving the airport. Security checks, terminal facilities, and food and beverage options. New leadership at the Indiana Chamber of Commerce. The chamber selecting the first woman to lead the organization in its 100-year history. Vanessa Green Senders is a former senior government affairs executive at Fortune 100 company Charter Communications and the American Hotel and Lodging Association. Brings extensive federal political experience to the chamber as well. Every business wakes up thinking about workforce, talent, how do I um, attract, retain, support, uh, all of that. And so I think the chamber um, has done obviously a lot in that area as such an important advocacy organization for the state. But I think there's always more that we can be doing. We can um, think about new ideas. I think that the uh, future economy and the exciting things happening in Indiana around life sciences, FinTech, advanced manufacturing, innovation, the, the research and, and kind of investment from the universities. It's just, um, I think we have so, so much good stuff going on. 
Sanders officially takes over as Indiana Chamber CEO January 5th, succeeding Kevin Brinegar, who has led the state's largest business advocacy group for 20 years. Well, the Greater Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce also has new leadership. The Indy Chamber naming Matt Mendrum as its next CEO. Mendrum is known around Indy after serving in marketing positions at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Eli Lilly and Company at Butler University. He is a graduate of IU's Jacobs School of Music and has an MBA from Harvard Business School. He begins his new role December 1. Golf. It has seen a major resurgence since the pandemic, young and old alike hitting the links. And Indiana goal, uh, golf is striking while the iron's hot, announcing plans for a new headquarters. Mary Rachel Redmond has the latest from Lawrence. Mary Rachel. Well, Gary, this may just be a sign in the ground right now, but come 2025, this exact spot will be the official new headquarters for Indiana Golf right here at Fort Harrison State Park at the Fort Golf Resort. We looked at several sites, but we landed here at the fort for a number of reasons. The central location is, is fantastic for us. It's a Pete Dye design, and, and having the Pete and Alice Dye Indiana Golf Center here fits very well. It's a public facility and a, and a good public facility. So a lot of those things kind of led us to the decision that but, um, you know, this makes total sense. The Pete and Alice Dye Indiana Golf Center will include the Indiana Golf Hall of Fame, Indiana Golf Offices, and a new teaching academy. A headquarters building could be about 13,000 square feet. A couple thousand square feet will be dedicated to the Indiana Golf Hall of Fame. And, and we're really excited because the new Hall of Fame's really going to tell the story, the history of Indiana Golf. Our old Hall of Fame had trophy cases and a lot of trophies and, and plaques and things. This is going to be much more interactive, and it's going to walk people through, you know, who influenced the game in Indiana and what impact they had and who won what championship and what golf has meant to the state. And perhaps no two people gave more to the game of golf in Indiana and around the globe than Pete and Alice Dye, the first family of golf course architecture, a fitting namesake for Indiana Golf's new HQ. The Dyes have given to the state of Indiana a lot of golf, and golf has given back to us just tremendously. So this is really special to have, a, you know, the Indiana Golf Association Learning Center and base here being named after uh, mom and dad, Pete and Alice Dyes. So it's just absolutely really special, especially out here at the fort, which is, you uh, Great one of Dad's great golf courses, always open to the public. And it's not just a new headquarters. Indiana Golf also announcing a six and a half million dollar capital campaign. We are four point three million dollars to our goals so far, so we're off to a fantastic start. We're excited about that. The bulk of the campaign, it's going to be the Pete and Alice Dye Indiana Golf Center, which will be the headquarters for all things Indiana golf. The other phases to the campaign are like uh, one is a pretty substantial scholarship program. Uh, we're in three hundred and thirty elementary schools statewide. Uh, offering first tee programming. We want to give those kids that are really showing an interest an opportunity to take it to the next level. And perhaps a perfect example of Indiana Golf's impact is Esther Etherington. I started in the first tee program when I was little. First tee started everything. It was the foundation for golf. Uh, it led me to high school golf and college golf. And now as a first tee scholar, a national scholar, and as a coach, it's very full circle. And it's just the foundation of golf in Indiana, you know, giving back to kids. I just think it's an opportunity for us to continue to introduce the game to people that didn't know we were here or, or didn't know they could play. Um, and continue to grow that. You know, from COVID, we're kind of riding that wave right now, and, and I think that we need to capitalize on that. So the more we can do right now to get golf clubs in people's hands um, and make sure people know that they have an opportunity to play, I, I, think, I think it's critical for future. 
Again, golf continues to drive big bucks into the Indian economy, an already $2 billion industry, and it appears the game is poised to continue to keep growing here in the Hoosier State. Gary, back to you. It is a challenge. It's a tough league, uh, but I think that's good for women's basketball, and, and it's good for us. Well, from the links to the hardwood and a brand recharge for the Horizon League, the league unveiling a new logo and vision at its basketball media day this week, highlighting four major pillars, major cities, major experiences, major moves, and major impact. Nearly 3,000 Division I athletes comp uh, compete in the Horizon League, including those at IUPUI and Purdue-Fort Wayne. The 2024 Horizon League Men's and Women's Basketball Championships will be held in uh, Indianapolis at Indiana Farmers Coliseum next March. Well, a respected tech pioneer with roots reaching from the East Coast to the Deep South to Indiana is my guest on this week's Business and Beyond podcast, Christian Anderson. He's been a fixture on the Hoosier tech scene since graduating from Anderson University in the 90s. Born in New York, raised in Conway, Arkansas, he eventually landed in Indiana, making his mark in Indianapolis as one of the founding partners of venture capital firm High Alpha, among others. His insight on how Nashville, Tennessee has parlayed its country music image into an economic driver and what Indianapolis could do to cash in the same way. They took this thing that they were already famous for, but not necessarily in a positive light, and embraced it, like unapologetically. When I look at Indy and I think, what's our, what's our country music? Like what's, what's the corollary? What's the equivalent? You don't have to look too hard to figure out what it is. It's motorsports. It's this remarkable asset that I still believe is radically under leveraged. I think it should be a part of every discussion we have in the city. Really interesting conversation with an interesting guy, a Christian Anderson. Uh, much more with the co-founder at High Alpha and some other startups uh, in Indianapolis. On the next Business and Beyond podcast, you can find it at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. Well, a small Indiana city with big plans on the drawing board to cash in on youth tourism dollars. More on a potential game changer in the works in the Fort Wayne suburb of New Haven. And in this week's IBJ, an entire issue focused on artificial intelligence, what AI means for the workforce, education, the arts, and more. Plus, find out how companies, including IBJ Media, are using AI. Here's what's making news around Indiana, brought to you by the Indiana Association of Realtors, Indiana's 21,000 realtors, the neighbors you know, the experts you can count on. Well, a small city outside of Fort Wayne swinging for the fences to cash in on youth sports tourism dollars. New Haven city leaders moving ahead with plans to build a massive athletic complex there. The Fields of Grace project includes a field house for basketball, volleyball, and pickleball and eight outdoor fields for baseball and soccer. The new complex expected to generate about $50 million for the New Haven area economy. The needle hasn't uh, really moved forward for population growth in the city of Delphi for more than a century, but that could change soon. Construction beginning on a new $12 million downtown apartment complex. Delphi Mayor Anita Whirling says it's due in part to many recent improvements made in the Carroll County seat. 
this is another major step along those lines of transformations that have occurred, and it will spark other development. Well, a big player in uh, storing and delivering seed to farmers looking to plant roots in Anderson, the name of the company, not yet known, but developers say the $30 million facility could bring more than 40 jobs and generate more than $3.5 million in tax revenues over the next decade. Gamblers appear to be less inclined to roll the dice in Indiana, betting at casinos across the state down more than 5.5% in August. That's the sixth straight month of decline. Indiana casinos raked in nearly $2.5 billion in revenue last year, which added about $700 million in tax dollars. And it's a mixed bag for sports betting in the state. Numbers improved in August over July, but are still down year to year. New made in Indiana technology to help stroke and spinal cord injury patients regain function in their hands. How it works and the Evansville neurologist behind this major breakthrough. It's coming up. Well, nominations are now open for IBJ's 16th annual CFO of the Year Awards. If your CFO deserves to be named CFO of the Year, make sure uh, you send your nominations by September 29th to IBJ.com slash nomination. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank, all rights reserved. Well, after years of development, a neurologist in Evansville is now selling a tool he invented to help his patients regain use of their hands. Business of Health reporter Kylie Valletta is here now with more. This is a great, great story, Kylie. Really interesting yeah. story, Gary. Now, this tool is designed for people who lose hand function after a brain injury, very often a stroke. Using conventional methods, Dr. Luke Barr says 50 to 80 percent of those patients don't regain function in their hands. The high number frustrated him, and that sparked the idea for his device called Polyform 1H. Stroke and brain injuries often cause loss of function in only one hand, so most rehab methods focus on only the compromised hand. But Barr says studies show using both hands together is the best way to regain function in one. And that's the main concept behind his device. While some two-handed rehab tools are on the market, Barr says they're very expensive robotics that the vast majority of patients can't access. He says Polyform 1H is simple but sophisticated. Patients use both hands to squeeze and rotate the device, which triggers the brain's natural ability to rewire itself to overcome new challenges. It's that coordination of the left hand and the right hand and because our brain is crisscrossed, the right side of our brain controls our left hand and our left side of our brain controls our right hand. So to coordinate the two together, both sides of the brain have to be activated in coordination. And from a lot of studies, we've learned that when you activate the brain in that way, it increases the brain's ability to change itself. And we term that neuroplasticity. Now, Barr says his idea hit a wall when several manufacturers told him it was impossible to produce the device affordably. That led him to Indianapolis-based Catalyst, a product development firm, which he says was a game changer. He's currently selling his first batch of devices and hoping to produce a second batch soon.
An Israeli-based pharmaceutical and nuclear medicine manufacturing company will open its first U.S. facility in Hamilton County. Isotopia Molecular Im Imaging picked Westfield for its U.S. operation. The company plans to invest $20 million and create up to 50 jobs by the end of 2027. The plant will be used to produce a radioactive medical isotope used in pharmaceuticals for targeted cancer treatment. Renowned Purdue University scientist Dr. Philip Lau using a $1.4 million grant to continue research involving a drug therapy used to fight drug-resistant strains of malaria. Lau conducting clinical trials to validate previous results of the drug imatinib. Lau wants to eventually submit the therapy for approval from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. If that happens, it would be his fifth FDA approval. Kylie, back to Luke Barr, the neurologist yes. in Evansville. I think it... it, it great part of that story, the resources that he used to make that happen around the state, including Evansville. Yeah, he even said, he said, I'm a neurologist. What do I know about <laughs> injection molding? Right. So he worked with USI's Applied Research Lab. They made his first few prototypes. Uh, of course, he worked with Catalyst, who really brought him from point A to Z to where he is now. And now he's also looking at uh, IU Stone Center, Stone yeah. Family Center in Evansville to help him conduct some studies. So he's sampled yeah. help from all over the state, but right there in Evansville, That's too. That's good stuff. Thanks very much, Kyle. Yep. It's time now for Ion Education. Ball State University celebrating the opening of the Brown Family Amphitheater on campus. That amphitheater made possible by a $3 million donation from alums Charles Brown and his wife, Dr. Louis, or Louise Tetrick, uh, constructed on the outdoor performance venue and gathering space began in 2022. I share this with all of you tonight because this facility serves as an embodiment of our goals, a testament to the power of individuals and organizations coming together to create a versatile, adaptive space that prioritizes collaboration. This space not only enriches our campus, but also fosters stronger ties with our local and regional communities. Brown and Tetrick also previously made a big contribution toward Ball State's on-campus planetarium, which is the largest planetarium in the state. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's edition of Inside Indiana Business. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gary Dick. Go out and make it a successful week. Thank you for listening to the Inside Indiana Business television podcast. Remember, you can get the latest business news from every corner of the state at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Go out and make it a successful week.